Ron and Anian. You know, in all the testing of electric cars, they always talk about, well, we're testing the electric car here in Southern California, uh, you know, where it's you know, where it's 70, 80 degrees. Nobody ever talks about testing it in a cold climate extremity like that. It never The Car Doctor. Look at the original brakes on your car. You know, you typically get on a car today, I don't know, pick a number. What do you get? You get 60, 70,000 miles out of a set of brakes, maybe. And you'll go out and you'll buy original equipment brakes from that vehicle manufacturer and you get 30, 35,000 miles. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines or wind up your armature, whatever you want to talk about. We'll have to change that in the coming years if we go all electric. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900, taking calls and answering questions. But first up this hour, we're going to have a conversation with a gentleman I always enjoy talking to. We've actually carved out some time here so we can uh, we can go the whole first half of the show with him. And uh, we know you're going to enjoy talking to him as much as I always do. Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, welcome back, sir. Hey, great to be with you as well. Thanks. There's an awful lot going on in the automotive world. My gosh, in the last couple of weeks, I've been I've been watching the DetroitBureau.com, and it just, you know, it's it's you're just writing about so many different topics and such a variety. But the one that seems to come up, you know, day in and day out, is this electric car thing. And and yeah, now, absolutely. Yeah, and, absolutely. And GM is going all electric. Tell us about that. Well, you know, let me let me back up for a second, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, to put things in perspective, we are likely, and I'll, I'll underscore that word, likely, to see more change in the automobile over the next 10 to 15 years. And we have seen since Henry Ford began mass producing the affordable tin Lizzie. And wow. that's everything from electrification to autonomous and fully driverless cars all the safety technology, the emergence of rideshare vehicles, all this stuff will transform the industry. What's intriguing, though, is you're, you're right. We're seeing a lot in the, in the electric area, and that's because a lot of what else is going to follow is likely to depend on what they call more broadly electrification. And uh, that can cover everything from micro-hybrids to regular hybrids like the Prius, uh, plug-in hybrids like the Chevy Volt, and full battery electric vehicles like the Chevy Bolt with a B or the Tesla Model 3. Where do you think GM is going to end up? Is it is it 10 years out, 15 years out, 30 years out? You know, that's a that's a pretty bold statement. We're going to go all electric. You know, if Renault says it or, you know, some other smaller car company says it, yeah, okay, we get it. They're going to, you know, Volvo said it. I didn't really pay much attention to it. How many cars did Volvo sell last year? Under half a million? GM says yeah. it. I'm paying attention. 
Uh, yeah, by the way, so you'll know, Renault, with its its uh, Japanese partner, Nissan, is now the world's largest automaker, dwarfs by several million units. General Motors, which you know has sold off its, uh, uh, its uh, European operations and shut down in India and a few other things. So GM has actually gotten a lot smaller in the last hmm. few years. And I thought Volkswagen uh, was top. I thought Volkswagen was top of the pile. Uh, because of uh, the Renault-Nissan alliance also acquiring Mitsubishi, they leapfrogged both Toyota and Volkswagen. It's going to be a three-way race going forward between Toyota, Volkswagen, and the Renault-Nissan alliance. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. Another big change. General Motors is now fourth and could slip to number five worldwide. But, uh, you know, get back to, let me get back to more or less your first question, which, which I really didn't directly answer. Uh, over the last four or five months, we have heard from virtually every major automaker that they are going to put heavy money into electrification. Again, everything from hybrids up to pure battery electric vehicles or BEVs, B-E-V. And uh, Volvo says that every vehicle it brings out post-2018, including next year, uh, those vehicles will have some form of electrified drivetrain. Hybrids will probably be the the most volume. Uh, We have heard from Volkswagen. It's going to spend $20 billion, that's with a B, $20 billion, to electrify every every brand in its lineup in one form or another. And that, by the way, we already have seen something from Bentley with the Bentega hybrid. But even Lamborghini is going to go hybrid. They're going to have hybrids and pure battery electric models. Aston Martin is going to be developing a range of hybrids, plug-ins, and battery electric vehicles. They're about to bring out their first. Uh, And on and on and on. But General Motors may have gone farther than anybody by firmly declaring that they are on a path to go 100% electric. They'll have, they have the bolt out. They'll have 20 electrics out by 2023. And at some unspecified date, they're going to be going 100% all electric, pure battery electric. I can't, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking Chevy Suburban, right? Think about the size of a Suburban, an eight-passenger vehicle that size, and they're going to make an electric mm-hmm. version of that? Well, you know, if you look at the footprint, they have room to put an awful lot of batteries in underneath. Uh, here's the thing. A lot of people think of battery vehicles like they do about the, the Prius or the, uh, the uh, Chevy Le- I'm sorry, the Nissan Leaf. You know, it's relatively slow, not, they, they often say, not that much fun to drive, a little weird looking, small, so on and so forth. But the reality is, if you look what's happening with batteries, they're getting more energy dense. Translation, they can store more energy in a given size. So if you had a, a we'll just say a gallon-sized battery five years ago, that may have given you, uh, make up a number, five miles of range. Right. Uh, it may soon be giving you 10. And when Toyota brings out their next-gen pure electric vehicle, they're talking like, what, 2021, 2022, that's going to use a new type of battery called a solid-state battery. Now, what does that mean? Well, it should bring the price down substantially uh, to less than one-tenth of what batteries were going for at the beginning of this decade. They're going to be hugely more energy-intense, three, four times what we saw only a couple years ago. They'll also be able to charge in a matter of minutes 
we may be looking at charging up electric vehicles within a few years as fast as it takes to gas up your vehicle. The batteries are going to be stored as they are in, in the in the uh, uh, Tesla Model 3 and in the uh, Chevy Bolt under the floor. So all the space that used to go to engines, you know, the, the, the under the hood, well, that's going to be a lot of that space is now going to be devoted to the passenger and cargo areas. So you're going to have more room in a smaller vehicle. And by the way, anybody who's driven the Tesla Model S with ludicrous mode knows how fast it can be. We're talking 2.3 seconds, zero to 60 in that car, in a Tesla. Right. That, by the way, is within a couple hundredths of a second of the zero to 60 times of the Dodge Challenger Demon. Wow. We're talking with Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com, for those of you just tuning in. Paul, two thoughts came to mind as you're talking about this. I'm going back to the Suburban. You know, is it is it going to be a four-wheel drive Suburban? So when it's in four-wheel drive mode, wouldn't it be logical to assume it would consume more power? Does that cut my well, driving that, range in half? No, not necessarily. Uh, uh, depending on how you distribute it, uh, those those motors can consume more or less. Some of the advantages of electric motors are significant. They are quieter, which, by the way, for some people who like performance cars, uh, you know, I, I'll miss my V8 exhaust note. Okay, I can fake it. I mean, there are manufacturers now that are toying with creating engine notes, you know, or exhaust yeah, notes yeah. that they'll, they'll introduce. And, and we have gas cars. Uh, BMW did that with the 5 Series. What you heard in the car was mostly uh, artificial and the last generation BMW 5 Series. Uh, you can shift your power all over the place. So just like today where you use mechanical differentials to move power from front to rear and so on, uh, you can move the power from front to rear, left to right. It's more efficient. You have less frictional losses. Uh, so uh, it should, in fact, be more efficient. Uh, and you can do things like torque vectoring, for those who know, I'm sure you understand torque vectoring, yes. but for those who don't understand it, you can shift uh, power, your torque, not just from front to back, but from left to right. Right, side so to side. So that when you go into a corner, the outer wheels get more power. They're actually running slightly faster, and it helps steer you through a corner. Well, you don't have to have silly uh, Rube Goldberg-type contraptions to do that anymore. You simply take the motor running the outside wheels, and you put more energy to them and less to the inner wheels, and you do a very clean torque vectoring. So there's a lot of potential advantages to electric. The key is going to be coming up to the better battery. Right. Hey, we're talking to Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, t t take a pause. Let's sit on the side. When we come back, I want to. I want you to think about this question. So how are we going to re-electrify our, our, our battery? How are we going to charge that battery? We're out on the road. We're driving from New York to L.A., how are we going to charge our battery? Is there going to be a battery swap station? Is there going to be a quick battery charge station? And what do you think that'll look like? And when does the corner gas station go bye-bye? I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. We're talking with Paul Eisenstein. We'll both be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. We're here with Paul Eisenstein at thedetroitbureau.com. Paul, we pulled over and took a pause. I left you with two questions and comments. One was, um, well, go ahead. You answer them. One was about you know recharging that battery, and then when does the corner gas station go away? What are your thoughts? Well, they're both the same question in many ways. Ron, this has been a subject that has been 
really occupying my mind. You, you nailed on one of the most important questions out there right now. And the answer is, I don't know. And nobody else does, because here are a couple of the big questions that lead, that will lead to that answer at one point. Number one, what happens with batteries? What type of batteries are coming up? For example, if uh, I mentioned earlier, we get those solid state batteries. People are talking about being able to charge them up, getting another two or 300 miles of range in a matter of minutes instead of a quick charge that might give you 100 miles in, say, 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, and a regular charge, it might take all night. Imagine being able to essentially fill up 300 miles worth of batteries in a matter of five to 10 minutes, basically the same as gassing up. That's what some people are saying is on the horizon. But what, if that happens, yeah. the whole world changes, Ron. Oh, yeah. uh, it makes sense to have a battery car because it's basically transparent. What happens, though, and here's the, we were just when we were on the break, so... Look at Puerto Rico, all right? No electricity for, what, four months? How are you going to charge that battery? If we, how are you going to fill up your, how are you going to fill your gas tank? Well, but I can, I can fly a gas can in, or I can hold a gas can on the side, right? I can fill it up and hold it for two you gotta weeks get or three weeks. Gas, you you got to get that gas somewhere. Yeah, you gotta I guess. Get that, you get, you got to get that gas from somewhere, and if the pumps, if you don't, if the, if the service station doesn't have electricity, he's not running his pumps. Yeah. And if... And so on. So, yeah, that is a question. Um, and there are some questions about getting energy to charge up. Uh, you can also charge up by running a generator, the same generator that might be needed to, uh, to, to operate a service station when the, when the uh, infrastructure is down, could also be used to charge a car. I can go anywhere. If I have a charger in my trunk or a, in a, somewhere, I can charge up in the middle of the woods. Now, here's the thing. Uh, there are a couple of possible ways to charge. Number one is at home. That's what a lot of people do right now. People that own the Chevrolet Volt, that's the plug-in hybrid that's been around for, what, seven years now. Uh, GM claims that they're getting 60, 600 to 700 miles between Phillips because they tend to charge up every night at home. They have enough battery to be able to get to work and back. So one possible scenario is this, and I think this is probably the most valid. When you have these new generation batteries out there, you'll still continue to charge up at home or at work uh, in a carport or maybe in a parking lot. If you live in an apartment, you plug in or you will use these new wireless chargers, similar to, to what people are starting to use for their cell phones. You roll over a mat, you don't even have to plug in, and the next morning you might have another 70, 80, 100 miles or more, and the only time you'll actually go to the futuristic equivalent of a service station is when you're on a long trip, and if you have these high-speed batteries at that point, you'll be able to fill up, if you will, charge up in a matter of 15 minutes, maybe 10, maybe even five. So it's going to change the way we get our power. Think think of the dynamic of we don't need Middle East oil anymore, and how that affects oh, yeah. the economy. Because and and when and you know when does the gas station when does that vintage sixty nine big block Camaro that's worth you know two hundred thousand dollars today be worth nothing because you can't get gasoline for it? And the, I think we're going to get gas for a long time. Uh, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, I don't think that 
we're going to see a complete erasure of the uh, the gasoline infrastructure. Will it become much less common? Will uh, only a small percentage of devices use gasoline? Perhaps. But I think in, in our lifetime, even people now who are already driving, uh, the chances are that there'll still be gasoline available, even if it's far less common for the rest of their lifetime. But electric vehicles are, once we get the battery issue solved, and I do believe that's happening, once we start having cheaper, more powerful, quick-charging batteries, why do we care? If, if I can get anywhere I want, uh, the car is more efficient, the car can be faster, yes, faster, the car can do things like torque vectoring and all sorts of things, all-wheel drive becomes pretty much the norm. Uh, what What is really the advantage other than the fact that I don't hear the roar of a V8 anymore? Right, right. And then do we ever get to the point where that, that electric car becomes a solar-powered car? Does does a solar panel on the roof charge the battery so it runs in perpetuity from New York to L.A.? No, I doubt it. Uh, the, 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 real, the reality is that uh, even if uh, you had 100% efficient solar cells, you simply wouldn't be able to get enough electricity on a bright sunny day, unless you're maybe in the Mojave Desert, right. uh, to generate enough energy to uh, to keep the car running. But there's all sorts of other prospects that people are talking about, and you may see more, and you will see more solar and wind power and wave energy and hydro uh, geothermal and other things to power our grid. Uh, but one thing that some people are talking about is even working into the road itself. Uh, inductive charging. So you could, for example, be driving in a special lane devoted to electric vehicles and getting the energy as you go along via wireless connection. Oh, that's... And, and by, the, by the way, here's another one. Have you heard about people? There's a, uh, a couple of... Uh, there's, a, there's a couple, a husband and wife, out in, I think it's Iowa, who are developing solar roads. Oh, that's interesting. I'll tell you what, Paul, stay one more segment. Can you stay one more segment? Sure, be glad right. to. Yeah, stay one more segment. Let me pull over and, 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 and do this thing right here, right now, and uh, we'll be right back. We can finish out with that. I'm talking with Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We're both coming back right after this. Don't go away. The Car Doctor here with Paul Eisenstein, the DetroitBureau.com. So, Paul, are they going to write rock and roll songs about I raced my electric car around, you know, high volt turn? I, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything, man. Like, I don't get it. It's Hey, that's the first thing I said when we were on today. Everything is going to change. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you. Now, let me tell you something. If, if, if your car is fast enough, you're not going to give a darn, really, what's driving it. If, you, if you're a gearhead... Uh, you know, may have to come up with a few different terms. I don't know if Curehead will work anymore. But you'll certainly enjoy these cars. I talk to a lot of people that have electric cars, and they tell me how much fun they are. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it just – and it, it surprises you. You know, you yeah. get this image of the classic, if you can call, you know, 
something that new classic uh electrified vehicle and you think oh my gosh those are boring but if you've ever been in in a tesla and nail it just put the foot to the floor and it has ludicrous mode you know that rush you get when you're in something like the demon when you get into something six seven hundred horsepower the blood rushes to the back of your head you get tunnel vision that pure raw adrenaline feel I don't care where it comes from. Uh, if I'm doing zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds, it's a rush. Do you really think so, it's going to be as much fun, though, in like an electric Corvette, a Z06 electrified Corvette? It's going to have that 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 same sensation? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Why not? If, if, that, if that future mid-engine Corvette actually won't be mid-engine, uh, it'll have four motors, one on each wheel. It may even have the w- motors built into the wheel. And not only do you have uh, all the normal safety and performance stuff you have right now, but as I'm going into a corner, uh, all that technology shifts all the power to the outside wheel, and I can corner, I can do one and a half Gs as opposed to a cornering of maybe 1.1 Gs today. You tell me if that's going to be fun. Yeah, I guess. Boy, it's just going to okay. be so different. Um, oh, it will. But yeah. but the, the the weird part, and let me tell you something. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a skeptical proponent. I can give you a lot of reasons why uh, I'm not sure if electric will really work. But I'm telling you, if if some of the good stuff happens, like I think it may, people are going to get a real goof out of it. One of the cars to watch is going to be the Jaguar I-Pace. Uh, you know that the F-Pace, their first SUV, is the best-selling Jaguar ever. And they just launched Frankfurt Motor Show, which I was at uh, a few a month ago. They just launched the E-Pace, their second model, a little smaller. They're going to launch their third SUV about a year from now, the I-Pace, just like iPhone. And it's going to be the first all-electric all electric Jaguar. Now, if you look at it, uh, it's pretty cool looking. A little spacey, but it's pretty cool looking. But the dimensions are really different because you don't have that engine compartment up front. They've moved the cab forward. So you have, you have like a, an almost full-size interior in a compact to mid-size exterior. And this thing's going to develop 400 horsepower. And remember, when you're talking electric, what you really need to be talking about is torque. Because you know, Ron. Torque is what gets you sure. to, from zero to sixty. It's torque. Torque is what drives that launches you. you. Yeah, right. Yeah, and electric motors make a hundred percent of their torque the moment they start turning. That's why they're so fast. So, yeah. you know, this is four hundred horsepower, but the torque is like seven hundred or so. I think it's going to be. And, it's going to be so different. It's going to be so fast. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of interior space. When the big change comes, and this is the one that I don't know how people are going to deal with, is when you have fully autonomous and even driverless cars. You know, what's that going to be like? Will people just basically not care anymore? It's just an appliance that gets you from point A to B. That's, that's the thing that I don't know what it's going to be like. That's the, that's the brave new world that I just don't know what that's going to be. Right. So listen, in my, in my last couple of minutes, tell us real quick about the, the, the husband and wife and the solar-powered road, the solar-charging oh, road. A, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't think That's of it okay. before we got on the air. I would have looked up the name of the couple. Right. Uh, but they are actually, uh, they, they, they did a deal recently. They're going to electrify uh, a little stretch of old Route 66 out west. 
mostly a, uh, a rest area, but then they're looking to build into some roads. They have come up with this fascinating technology. Basically, they're glass octagonal blocks that can be formed into the into a road you can actually make the road out of a glass and it's the surface of it has texture so it has they claim the same uh friction you know basically it's just like driving over regular pavement right but the but they have solar cells in them so that the road is actually generating electricity and that electricity can be used to uh, run lights along the road. It can even be put back into the into the energy grid. Uh, there there are LED lights in the road that they're developing. So, for example, uh, they have uh, instead of painting on lane markers, the lane markers light up in LEDs. And if the road, let's say, there's construction, they just reprogram it, and the lane markers move. You can put warnings in the road. You can do different colors. Uh, it's a fascinating idea, and uh, it, uh, we'll see. I just don't know if it's going to take off, but there's a couple of other people working on similar technology in other parts of the world as well. What's your favorite car, Paul? What are you driving, oh these, what are you driving, these, what are you driving these days? I, I, I have the, been driving the, all. Go ahead. I, I, don't have a fa- I don't have a favorite car. I drive too many. Yeah. Uh, I just came back from New York yesterday and just drove the 2018 Mercedes S-Class. No, 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 no. What, is, a, what does Paul Eisenstein himself own and drive? You've got to have one in the stable that's just you love driving. Well, right now, uh, right now, the car that I love to drive and I own is uh, an Audi uh, A5 Cabriolet. Okay. What's going to happen? Uh, I, what do you think the electric version of that's going to be like? Uh, we'll know very soon, not for the A5, but Audi is about to launch their first all-electric vehicle, which is going to be an SUV. Huh. And we'll see that in about a year. You're going to see a lot of luxury SUV battery electric vehicles over the next two to three years. As a matter of fact, if you go to my site, the thedetroitbureau.com, uh, and you put, put in, you do a search on there, uh, we have a story where we uh, highlighted roughly 20 of the pure battery electric vehicles that you'll be able to buy by 2020. And that includes uh, a lot of SUVs like the uh, I-Pace, uh, like the uh, the Audi uh, electric, but there'll also be some really cool sports cars. You know that Porsche has an all-electric model coming yeah. called uh, yeah. the Mission E, and uh, Aston Martin just previewed their first all-electric, and they have a second one they claim is under development. A lot of gambles, a lot of changes, a lot of gambles, and we're going to see such impact on the economy and the world. It's like nothing. It's going to be a revolution. It's going to be, as you, as you started, it's going to be like Henry Ford and the Tin Lizzie all over again. The big question, Rom, we have the industry investing. Uh, my count is close to $100 billion. That's moon launch money, right? Yeah. Estimating they're putting in a hundred billion dollars to develop all these new electric vehicles. Here's the thing: right now, everything—hybrids, plug-ins, and pure pure electrics—account for just three percent of the the U.S. market and less than that worldwide. They're spending all that money on a technology that we don't know if consumers will like or want to buy. I think they will when all the new technology comes to market, all the new vehicles come to market. But that's an awful lot of investment on the IFCOM on something that we don't know yet if consumers will want to buy. That's an awful big if. I still go back to the 1986 Buick Riviera, the GM built with the touchscreen technology and the AC controls. Uh-huh. Everything was touchscreen. The dealer lots were sitting full of those four or five months later. 
and a lot of those cars got scrapped. They couldn't sell them, so... You know yeah, what? but look now, Ron. Yeah. Find me a car. Find me a car all the way down to pretty much the lowest level cars that don't have touch screens that control almost anything. Right. But wasn't an idea that was twenty years ahead of its time, and are electric cars too early? We'll see. We'll see, Paul. It's going to be yep. great. It's going to be great fodder for the future for both you and I. So, listen, as Absolutely. always, my friend, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Um, one of these days, we're going to get together and break bread and do more than just radio interviews. But uh, I'd enjoy I, that. I, I appreciate you taking the time. How's the pussycat, by the way? Ah, he's here. We're out at the cottage on the lake, uh, watching it rain, and he's sitting here by the fire and enjoying himself. Good deal. Hey, listen, you have a great rest of the afternoon. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs> Talk soon. Thank bye you. Now. Bye-bye. I'm, he, you know, I just, I love Paul Eisenstein to death. There's a guy who's just a walking, he is just so knowledgeable about what's going on in this industry. Uh, we'd be lost without him. We're very fortunate to have him here at the Car Doctor. I'm Ron Anany, and I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Thanks for sticking with us this hour. And I'm sure it was really tough listening to Paul Eisenstein. There's a there's a walking univac of what's going on in the automotive industry on the uh, new car sales and new car technology side. Just a great, 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 great interview each and every time. We'll have him back again real soon. Let's go over to Steve on line one. He wants to talk about a Honda Civic and a clutch problem or some kind of a transmission-related issue. Steve, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, the friend has a 2005 Honda Civic, 280,000 miles, okay. and it's not a clutch problem. Her mechanic says that the transmission, the manual transmission, needs an overhaul. She was quoted a price of $1,000, and actually I think she's looking at a newer used car at this point. But I was wondering, gee, oh, it's probably an obvious question, but I didn't think manual transmissions uh, needed that much work. I thought they would go half a million miles without necessarily needing an overhaul. So that's my question. You know, Steve, great, great observation and great commentary. Manual transmissions, if they do need to be rebuilt, can actually be more costly than an automatic transmission because there's more hard metal parts in most manual transmissions today than than, than there are in automatics. That being said, uh, what my first question would be, when you say she has a problem, is it that it, it won't shift from gear to gear, or is it any specific gear in itself? You, you know, that I don't know. Uh, the first thing, she reported to me it was getting into gear, which sounds like clutch. Right. But uh, she does trust her mechanic. He's done other work on the car, including a clutch, not in the recent past, but, you know, some many miles ago. And... And he said, well, he checked it out and determined that it did need about $1,000 worth of work. You know, and, you know, Virginia's a little different than New Jersey. To overhaul a Honda 5-speed in New Jersey is probably every bit of 2500 to $3,000. By the wow. time, by, well, by the time you go through bearings and well, you know how far are you going to go? You're going to take the trans out of the car and split the case, sure. or you're only going to put in half the parts at 280 thousand miles. You know, short of short of the main cluster and, and and all the main gear setups, you're going to do all the synchros, all the needle bearings, all the support bearings, and so on. So, you know, again, my question comes back to which gears. If it's tough to get into first and it grinds going into reverse, that's clutch. That's either clutch. Clutch linkage or hydraulic slave. Something isn't allowing the clutch to engage or disengage properly. Right. All right. The if it's if it's all the gears that it feels notchy and tight, 
I would also just take a hard, careful look at the shift linkage. There's a couple of rubber bushings there that can wear out both under the console, in the car, and out on the transmission itself. There's things that will rust and corrode, especially down Virginia Way. You guys get all kinds of crazy weather. Uh, you know, yes, you, you, guys have tough, you guys have tough winters, too, just like the Northeast. And I would be taking a careful look at that. Um, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not the attending physician. But I would just be asking those questions and saying, all right, what is it that you think is bad in the trans? If it's synchros, and he's going to do that for a thousand bucks, brother, take him up on it. Uh, you know that's a well, that's a that's a cheap price. But I would also be asking about, gee, don't we want to overhaul the whole transit two eighty and not just replace some of the parts? Well, I think she's made a decision to go with another car. But I had said she should call you. But a lot of times when I make that suggestion to people, they go, eh, I don't want to. So I said, what the hey, I'll call you. I appreciate and it. I, I, did, I did not have all the details about that you're just telling me, you know, which gears and so forth. Right. So those are some good questions. So, so those are things you can go back to her and ask her, Steve. And as always, I appreciate you taking the time, and I appreciate you guys being a listener. So good luck to you down there, Virginia Way, and uh, keep listening to The Car Doctor. We're glad to have you in the family. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and The Car Doctor coming back right after this. Back, Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Is the Car Doctor 24-7, always there, always working, always doing what it can for you? Phone number, you can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message, and Tom Ray or Rookie Dan, Rookie Dan, we're going to think about a better name for him if he sticks around. Um, I don't like that name. I can think of a few names, but not for family radio. And we just got to make sure that, you know, Danny will uh, answer you and answer your questions and uh, put you in queue for the next live broadcast whatever that might be. So you can call that number anytime, day or night, and uh, leave it there. Hey, Ron, let's do a quick piece of email. I got I got a minute and a half. Hey, Ron, I was looking at a 2007 Lexus GS350 all-wheel drive. The car has 126,000 miles on it. It's been dealer-serviced. If I purchase the car, I want to get the fluid replaced. I spoke to the dealer, and they said that it does not need to be changed, but it costs $450 to do so. How do they know how much it costs if it never needs to be changed? Another one of those, never, ever, ever. I have no problem paying for this, but I'm wondering if at that mileage will I do more harm than good with the car. I look at all the maintenance records. And otherwise, it appears to be well-maintained. would love to hear your opinion. Thanks, Glenn. Glenn, I'd change it. And I'll tell you why. Uh, that, that should be Toyota WS Transfluid. And it's an additive package. That's, that's the big difference on a lot of these fluids, it's just the additives that they put in there. And a lot of the reports you read, they talk about how the fluid does wear out because the additive package gets depleted. And I think at 127,000, 126,000 miles, excuse me, miles later, eh, you know, you're a little past due. But I would rather do it now. I would rather do it now and see what happens because if you let it go, it's only going to get worse in time. And, you know, do you want to drive it slowly into the ground or do you want to try to avoid the ground altogether? I'm for changing fluid. I really am, uh, regardless. Now, regarding the price, for $450, my guess is they're changing trans fluid and or they should be changing the final drive. There's a small little differential on that vehicle, if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of tough to get to. It's a roughly 7-8 American or 24-millimeter uh, socket um, to get to the drain plug and the fill plug on the side of the case. That should be done, and if there's a rear differential, that should be serviced as well. Bottom line, I'm talking about doing a drive line fluid change and changing it all, not just focusing on the trans. And uh, from there, you can, uh, you know, you can do, you can, you, you can then count on the car and let it, let it do what it's got to do. All right. So um, that about wraps it up for today. I'm Ron and Annie in the car doctor. 
gosh, what a busy show. I'm Ron and Haney in the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.